1: Other than being elected to the Hall of Fame for football, baseball, or basketball, there are no rewards. Unlike what we see in Scripture, Hebrews 11, the rewards of faith, coming up next. Hebrews chapter 11, we know it as the Hall of Faith. It's here that there is a litany of names that are paraded before us for being faithful. Throughout Scripture they're noted as people of faith. But there were rewards that were attached to that faith as we'll see today. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're looking at the rewards of faith as recorded for us here in the Hall of Faith. Join us. Hebrews 11. Here's Pastor Phil Howard and Today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Hebrews 11, verse 6. The
2: rewards of faith is what I'm going to talk about. And Listen to this verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, mission impossible. Without faith, you can't do anything to please God. Build a pyramid. He's not impressed. Teach a Sunday school class. He's not impressed. The most important attitude God looks for us to have toward him is that of trust, faith. Matter of fact, it's the fight of our lives to fight the good fight of the faith, to fight the fight to live by faith and not by sight, to live by reliance on God not reliance on ourselves. Have you ever wondered why Israel is always going into idolatry and it seems so foolish? We see uh, uh, figurines carved out of stone, mud, wood. We say, how stupid? How could you ever do that? But if you would forget the idol itself, what it looked like, and see what made them do that, idolatry is the form of unbelief in which you switch your trust To a different object other than your God. You'd rather trust a piece of wood than you would God. You'd rather trust something that can't see, hear, talk, or walk than to trust God. We do it. We trust money more than God many times. We trust people, things, and our idols look good to us. And we're not pagan. We don't bow down, as it were, to wood and straw and stone what we really do at times, because the human heart always has to have something to bow down to. And when it doesn't bow to God, it will find an object to bow to. And here he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I want us to look at that. That's just one part of the sermon. The second part is, the great impossibility in life is to please God without faith. The second thing is, The great reward in life is that we serve a God who will reward you for trusting Him. He will reward you for believing Him. Now that's grace upon grace. The only one in the universe that can't lie says, I'll give you a reward if you'll put your trust in me for salvation and as a believer. I'll reward faith. I'll reward you making me the object of your trust. Isn't that marvelous? It's a great thing. And then we'll spend a little time on the great pursuit of our life, and that is God only rewards those who diligently seek him. He never rewards the lazy. You've got to want God bad. Now, if I heard a testimony of a guy last night, uh, given his testimony, he'd been a singer, and he got out into sin, and went the secular music, was a preacher's kid and a prodigal. And he told how he got out there for seven years. He, he left the faith, left home, left uh, this quartet he was in, became a drug addict, was singing at Las Vegas. And finally, uh, on a Tuesday night at Las Vegas, he came to his senses after he lost so much. And he, uh, he came to God and got right. But he said, you know something you must know. He said, God uses means to get prodigals back home. For he said, my daddy, my daddy had fasted two meals a day for seven years and prayed the two hours he would have eaten to bring his boy back to God. Seven years, my dad only ate one meal a day and prayed the other two hours that he would have eaten. Bring my boy back. Bring my boy back. You've got to want it bad enough. Is there anything you want bad enough from God that you would diligently seek Him over? I want to say something about grace. Your tomorrow is no better than your attitude of faith today. For tomorrow, God is going to give you in response to the way you're thinking today. Let me tell you something about grace grace is not earned, but it is conditional. You can't earn going to heaven. But you don't get to go to heaven unless you believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be given the grace of salvation that you can't earn but you've got to meet a condition. If I told you that if you graduate from high school with a B average, I will pay for your college education. Am I making you a gracious offer? Is that a gracious offer? I don't have to pay for your college education, do I? But i made it conditioned on finishing high school, certain GPA, a very simple kind of requirement, the kid ought to graduate anyway, the B, that's a little bit challenging. And this is the way it is with God. God doesn't have any grace for your future if you don't have any faith in Him today. If you die in unbelief, you'll go to a deserved hell. Because the reward for not believing God is hell. And if you are a believer today and you're in unbelief, you're in for maybe years, weeks, or months of dryness, uh, lost joy, lost hope, many things. Let me just give you, first of all, the first point. It's impossible to please God without faith. And let me try to illustrate that for you. And what became known in the Bible as the Waterloo of Israel. Israel was slaves and she came on the brink of inheriting a promised land. And we go to Numbers 14. And I want you to turn there. Numbers. In the Old Testament. Fourth book of the Old Testament. And you go there. And in chapter 13. Moses had sent out 12 spies spy out the land. Tell us, is it a land flowing with milk and honey? Well, they went over there. They saw the land. They saw the grapes. They saw the honey. They saw pasture land. But they also saw giants. The Nephilim. Huge men. Goliath himself was nine foot six. Some believe these Nephilim may have been taller than that, but You think of meeting a guy nine foot six. That means you just reach up six inches and drop the ball in the net. You just reach, boom. That, that, That would scare me a bit. Look at Numbers 13. Caleb says in verse 30, We can take the land. 31, the ten men. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They're the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So they're saying, we can't do it. The giants are too big. You haven't seen what we saw. Caleb, the same man, says, we can do it. It's worth it. Let's go for it. Well, when this report went among the people in chapter 14, they begin to grumble and complain. And they said, why has God brought us to this point to be routed and defeated? And uh, verse 4, they said, uh, hey, let's choose another leader to go back to Egypt. And uh, let's knock off Moses and Aaron. Let's kill them. Uh, When you don't know what to do, kill the leader. You know, when you don't know what to do, kill Moses. Kill Aaron. And so the people begin to rebel against the Lord. And in verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent. And he rescues Moses. And he says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Then Moses begins to intercede. He says, God, it wouldn't look good if the Egyptians found out you knocked us off. We kept saying that you could bring us into the land. Don't kill him. The guy that they wanted to stone becomes the guy that intercedes for their life, and God listens to him, and He says, "Okay, I won't kill him." He said, "Be slow to anger and listen to what the Lord says." Verse twenty. The Lord replied after Moses interceded, "I have forgiven." Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to be forgiven? But I want you to find out something. You could be forgiven and still have some problems. Watch this. I have forgiven them as you ask. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. They said, God can't give us manna, can't give us water gripe, gripe, gripe at the Red Sea. They went to kill Moses. They complained. Ten times, God said, they have provoked me. They've tested me. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'm going to let him into the land. Now watch. Watch in verse 20. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? You always know you're in unbelief when you're full of grumbling. When you're grumbling, you're not believing. It's the sure-tale sign something's out of kilter. When you get on a critical spirit, grumbling, and that murmuring, it doesn't accompany the life of faith. Grumblers are not believing God. They're grumbling about their circumstances. I'm not getting what I deserve. I don't like this. Whatever. But just know that grumbling is one of God's ways to let you know, uh-oh, you just moved from faith to unbelief. Well, they're grumbling. And uh, God says, I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. They said, When they were over there, I said, Our kids are going to be plundered if we come to this land. We can never take it. God says, You know what? I'm going to do just like you said. Watch this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I would do the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who, who was counted in the senses and who has grumbled against me, Not one of you will enter the land, I swore with uplifted hand, to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but you, your bodies, will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, watch this, one year. For each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. What's going on here? God forgave them their sin, but he's going to discipline them for their unbelief. Because God never rewards unbelief. Every day that they didn't believe God cost them one year. And it cost their sons and daughters 40 years out of their life that they accomplished nothing but marching in circles around Mount Sinai. Just think of this. How would you feel about your dad? He said, Dad, if you would have believed God, I could have been building the ranch in Canaan 40 years ago. But because of your unbelief, I'm marching myself to death out here with you. And I've got to wait till I bury you and mama before I get to go into the inheritance. We could have had 40 years ago, but you wouldn't believe God could keep a promise and give us the land. This becomes throughout scripture a Waterloo experience. You'll find it in Psalms. Psalms 95, he talks about worshiping God. Then all of a sudden he goes into this, he says, Be sure that you don't develop the attitude they had at Mirabah, Exodus 17. God, you can't give us water. Don't get the attitude they had in the time of provocation, Numbers 14. Where my people would not believe I could give the land. I was ready and willing. But God never, never does reward unbelief. There's a lot of Christians I've met. Uh, Is it possible to be a Christian to be miserable? I've seen a lot of Christians that are on the right side of Egypt that are on the wrong side of Canaan. They're out of Egypt, but they're not in Canaan. They're on this wilderness march. I'm saying, what are you doing going in circles? says, I can't believe God. I can't trust God. Now they wouldn't say that. They would say bad circumstances maybe. This is against me. That's against me. That's against me. They probably wouldn't discern maybe. I'm just not believing God and so I'm wasting my life going in circles. And I'm not desperate enough to diligently seek God about a different way to walk. I've gotten used to marching in circles. I've met believers in God's household of faith, that are miserable. They say they know the true and living God, but uh, they grumble a lot. They're not always happy. Because God said in Romans fifteen thirteen that when you quit believing God, He takes away your hope, He takes away your peace, and He takes away your joy. And that's a miserable existence. When you don't have hope, and when you don't have peace, and when you don't have joy, that's misery. And I think in that misery, the Spirit grieves in us to get us back because we're really sinning. We have done that thing which God says, I cannot bless. My grace is conditioned upon you believing me. I will give you great rewards. I'll give you things you can't merit. But the only cooperation I ask is, will you trust me? Will you rely on me? Will you count me as faithful and true as a God that cannot lie to you? There's some of you, you put God on time limits. God, I'll give you so long to do it the way I want you to do it, and then I'm bailing out. Or God, you, you failed me. They tested the Lord. When things aren't going your way, you know what they did? When there was no water, they turned the test over to God. They said, God, you better get with it. I'm not going to serve a God that can't provide water. They were being tested, not God. Wouldn't it have been wonderful when they came to the no water situation in Exodus 17, that they'd all called all of Israel together and they had a prayer meeting and they'd said this, God has seen fit to put us in the desert. God has seen fit that there's no water. God is obviously ready to show his mighty power as his people pray and believe him. Let's pray he'll do a miracle like the Red Sea. If he can open the Red Sea, surely he could provide water for us. Is that what they did? Grumble. And every time they got through grumbling, where's Moses? Let's kill him. It's his fault. Poor Moses. No wonder he didn't make the land. The people drove him crazy. The people drove him to sin. He got where he started acting like them, and he disobeyed God, and God said, you can't go in the land because I won't reward unbelief. You did not choose to fear me before these people, and you struck the rock when I told you not to. You're not going in the land. Oh, let me tell you, in this project Canaan, these 12 years building this building and going through the different giants we had to fight. I used to often say to the men, I'm afraid of hitting a rock on the way and being left out of the land. I don't want to hit any rocks out of the will of God and have him tell me you're not going in. Because God disciplines unbelief. It's the most offensive thing we do to God is we say, I won't believe you. He said, I will discipline it in my people. I will not stand. I'll send a man to hell before I'll reward his rejection of me. There is no reward for unbelief. He said in John 3, you're condemned already because you have not believed in the only begotten son of God. We're getting back. How could there be hell? Because unbelief doesn't bother us. It bothers the God who cannot lie. Don't call him a liar. If you do, he'll discipline you in anger or love, but he will not reward the attitude of distrust. He doesn't deserve to be treated that way. He deserves our trust. Look at what he says, just to show you some other places. We're running as we can to the New Testament. Look at Psalms uh, 90, 95. But it's interesting that in a worship psalm, and he's talking about worship in the first seven verses come and sing, come and bow down, worship this great God. And right in the midst of it, in verse 8, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did the day at Masa in the desert. That's still Exodus 17. Uh, Meribah means quarreling, and Masa means testing where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. No matter what I've done for them, they have chosen not to believe me. No matter what I've done. Could you imagine living through the ten plagues in Egypt? And ever saying you didn't believe this God could do it. They did. Look at uh, Psalms 106. Verse 24. He's rehearsing in the psalm the failings of Israel. And thanking God for a love that endures forever. I know God is great in love because he endures people like us, he's saying. Verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the desert. Make their descendants fall among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. This Numbers 14 was a turning point. When God wanted to give his best to Israel. wanted the perfect will of God for them. Unbelieved. Put that plan on hold for 40 years. Unbelief. Look how he uses this same teaching in Hebrews 3. When you had many Jews that were professing faith in Christ. Some were tempted to go back. Abandon their faith in Christ. And also I think believers struggling with uh, trusting God for the present. Trusting God. a, A man years ago by the name of Bob Theme, wrote an excellent little book called Faith Rest, that uh, there's a rest to the people of God when they trust Him. And this is what he says in Hebrews 3, verse 7. The Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts.
1: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.